Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good to be together again. We can open our Bibles this morning to the book of Nehemiah. And today we are going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4 as we continue on in our verse-by-verse study through this wonderful story about the building of a wall, but you could say it's more so about the building of a people. And I've enjoyed all the ways that this story Uh, of Nehemiah has been speaking to our current moment as a church body because, you know, we're a church that has been and will continue to build for the Lord. And I was so encouraged last week um, as the message was given from Nehemiah chapter 3 and that charge was given that we would all rise up and get our hands on the work, that we'd be able to participate in the blessing of serving one another in this church body And uh, it was awesome to see how many of you uh, have talked to us or sent us emails saying we want to get involved in the work. And I think this is really good because as I've been sharing with you, um, we're actively praying and planning about going to two services uh, so that we could accommodate the growth of this uh, church family. So you guys all got a little elbow room today? So... uh, You know, Calvary Chapel Palos Verdes started on September 27th, 2020, which means that we are coming up on the two-year mark as a church. We're about to have a birthday. And uh, it's been such a fun and fruitful journey so far, seeing all the work that God has done and how he's done it through through us working together. And we're we're really eager to see what God has ahead for us in this third year as a church. Um, And so what we're going to do is on October 2nd, 2022, uh, we decided that we're going to celebrate our two-year anniversary as a church by going to two services. Yeah, yeah. And it's just too good to pass up a day that has that many twos. October 2nd, 2022, we're going to be going to two services to celebrate uh, two years. So the times are going to be 2 a.m. and 2 p.m. No, I'm I'm just kidding. So... uh, so please don't come at those times. These, <laughs> uh, these are going to be the new service times. Right now we've got this wonderful 10 a.m. service. We're going to be splitting the difference of that, and there will be a 9 a.m. service and an 11 a.m. service on Sunday mornings. And both services will be the same. Everything that you've had here at these 10 a.m. services, the coffee, the donuts, the kids' ministry, uh, We'll have all of that for both of the services. You're just going to have a little bit extra elbow room and some open seats that we can continue to invite our friends and family to church. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, uh, sounds good, right? October 2nd? Okay, let's do it. Yeah. So, we'll talk more about what that's going to look like, but we're going to have a little uh, celebration in between those services that Sunday. So, uh, for those coming to the 9 a.m., you're going to stay a little later, and those coming to the 11 a.m., we're going to come a little earlier, and we're going to have a little party in that little half-hour gap. Okay? Sound good? All right. Well, uh, if I could just encourage you again as we continue to see God build this church, it's going to require the full support of the body of Christ. That's, as I've shared, that eternal principle, many hands make light work. 
And uh, we're going to continue to love and support and encourage one another in the good work that God's doing here. And so um, we would love to just see our welcome team grow, our hospitality team grow. We, we want, uh, I, just for the sake of my own beautiful wife, Leah Hendrickson, uh, let's get some people right now today to go up to her after service and say, I'll serve in kids ministry starting October 2nd. And uh, that'll just, that'll bless my wife, which will be a blessing to me. So um, (laughs) selfish motives here. So I want to see my wife not stressed out to get kids ministry workers. So that's all uh, for that announcement. We'll be talking more about it in the coming weeks. But uh, with our Bibles open now to Nehemiah chapter 4, let's begin our study uh, at verse 1. And let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your church. We thank you that you are the foundation stone upon which we build our lives. And God, we thank you for the way that you're building up individual lives day by day, but God, you're building us up collectively as your church. And this church has uh, many members with you, Jesus, being the head. And we follow your lead. We follow your direction. And God, we ask this morning that you'd speak to us by your word and by your spirit, and God, that you would do a good work of transformation in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, says this. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Now, I hope that the news that I just shared about the fact that we are building as a church doesn't make anybody here angry, okay? And I know that you might have the thought like, oh, I love 10 a.m. service. It's the perfect time. It's just a little late enough, not too late. And you're torn now about whether you want to go to the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock. You know, it's, and it's hard for us to accept the fact that now we're not going to all be together as one big family. And, and I get that. I know all those things that will come up in our hearts and minds But I'm hopeful that no one here is angry at the fact that God is building his church. But can I tell you about someone who is angry with the church's building? It's our enemy, the devil, who is our adversary. The devil is ticked off that Jesus' church is thriving. And why? It's because... Lives are being saved, lives are being transformed, and the kingdom of light is advancing against the kingdom of darkness, and the enemy hates that work. When Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry. Now, we've already been introduced to this fellow named Sanballat back in chapter 2, And he's sort of the ringleader of the enemies of Israel who sought to oppose the work of God uh, that was occurring by the hands of the people. And today what we're going to see is that as we continue to see God's kingdom advance, as we continue to do good work with our hands, we will see opposition. That you can expect that any time a work of God is advancing in your life or through your life, there's going to be opposition. But today... We are going to be equipped, equipped by God's word to recognize and to resist opposition when it comes. And so this guy, Sanballat, he was the governor of Judah when Nehemiah came to town. 
And the fact that Nehemiah was coming in and that he was going to do the work of protecting the people, this meant that Sambalat couldn't do his work of oppressing the people. And we see that the person, Nehemiah, is a great picture of our protector, Jesus Christ, and Sambalat is a great picture of our oppressor, the devil. Now we see in verse one that Sanballat, whose name means secret enemy, was angry when he heard about the building of the wall. It says that he was greatly enraged and that he jeered at the Jews. Now to jeer at somebody is to laugh at somebody, to, to mock them. And Sanballat was laughing at and mocking the Jews when he saw the work that they were doing. In verse two it says, And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? So Sambalat got his brothers in a whole army together. It says that the army of Samaria was with him and together they jeered. They laughed, they mocked, and their mocking came in the series of five questions, questions that were filled with doubts and discouragement toward the Jews. So the first question we saw there was, what are these feeble Jews doing? Now, the Jews might be thinking, yeah, we, we kind of are feeble. There's not many of us here. We are returning exiles back into our land with very little to call our own. Yeah, we kind of are feeble. Then they said, will they restore it for themselves? And the Jews might be thinking, well, yeah, we've been ruled over by other nations for so long. We haven't seen restoration for ourselves in a very long time. They said, will they sacrifice? And the Jews might be thinking, you know, our temple isn't what it used to be. And our worship hasn't been what we have experienced in the past. And then they said, will they finish up in the day? And the Jews are probably wondering, how many days is this going to take? You know, we've started the work, but we're kind of starting to feel tired. Will we ever finish? Then they said, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And the Jews could probably agree, look at what we have to build with. We've got, you know, these rocks that have been ruined and torn down. And Sambalat's right, it's not a new and shiny wall. We're building from piles of burnt stone and trash. These mocking questions came to the ears of the Jews. And if, you know, they thought through these questions long enough, Each mocking question had at least some element of truth to it. And this could have easily caused the Jews to get discouraged and to begin to despair because remember, Sambalat was not alone in his jeering. He had his brothers and a whole army working together with him and the devil is not alone in his work and there is a whole army of enemies that want to doubt you and discourage you and bring you to despair. Then in verse three, we also hear this taunt from Tobiah, another enemy that is mentioned by name. His name means God is good, if 
but clearly he wasn't living up to his name. He was an Ammonite, which was a common enemy of Israel's past. And Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside Sanballat, and he said to him, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And so do you see what's happening here? As the work of building the wall progresses, the enemy is coming in and laughing and mocking and jeering and asking questions that is going to cause the Jews to doubt their good work, saying how weak, how helpless, how hopeless these people are as they seek to be restored and revived as a people of God. And this, guys, this is all too common in the lives of believers. You see, when a work of God is started in your life, and it's beginning to take shape. The enemy comes in and he seeks to prevent the work by provoking the believer to discouragement and despair. See, the, two, the devil has two really powerful tactics when it comes to attacking lives of Christians to, to keep us from building a fruitful life in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't want to see a work of God happen in you or through you. So what does he do? Well, first, he uses our fear of being mocked. Isn't it true that one of our greatest fears we have is being laughed at, being ridiculed? See, we have this fear of being mocked or rejected, and unfortunately, this is the reason why so many people do not share their faith. And the devil loves to use mocking as a way to prevent God's work from happening in your life or through your life. But look, if we, as God's people, can get past the fear of being mocked, because we realize that our Savior Jesus Christ was mocked, and a servant is not greater than his master, right? So if, if the world hated Jesus, what, why should we think any different for us? So the next thing we see that the devil does after mocking is he will use discouragement. And I have seen the devil use this tool in my life so many times. The devil knows how to take something that has at least some element of truth to it. And he tries to get my eyes off of God's faithfulness and onto my failures. That's what Sambalat did when he asked these questions. You know, the devil comes and says, you're feeble. You're like, yeah, I kind of am feeble. Will you, will you do this for us? I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can continue. I don't know. And we, we get distracted by these discouragements and the devil knows full well that there is a good work that is happening in your life and it's not as if there's no work being done in you. But the fact for the people of Judah was that where they were in the building of the wall here is that they were at the halfway point. You, you are far enough along where you know that God has done a good work through you, but you're only halfway and you realize you're a work in progress. You're a work in progress. And the thought of how much you have left to go might bring you to a point of discouragement and despair. See, God's work has started in you if you've believed upon Jesus Christ. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. 
But, but it's not finished yet. We're, we're works in progress. And the devil tempts us to be discouraged in the progress that is being made either in you or through you. See, I tell you, the devil is very cunning and crafty in how he tries to oppose the work of God. He starts with the mocking, and, and then he moves to the discouragement. But as we will see, every time the people of God press through these kinds of oppositions, it just makes him even more angry, and the threats become stronger. And you're like, man, are you telling me right now that to be a Christian and what defines the life of a believer who does good work for the kingdom of God, you're saying that this, this is what it's all about, that I'm going to get attacked like this. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to spiritual warfare. Put on your armor. So how are the Jews going to respond to these attacks from their enemies? Perhaps they'll turn to Sambalat and answer all of his questions. Or, or they'll turn to Tobiah and they'll call him names and call out his weaknesses. What are they going to do? What is Nehemiah going to do? What are, what are they going to do to respond in this moment? Well, look at verse 4. It says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. How did Nehemiah respond to the mocking of his enemies? He prayed. He prayed. Here we see again that Nehemiah is a man of prayer. In all circumstances, in all situations, Nehemiah goes directly to the Lord. And, and did you notice the tone of his prayer? It, it's an angry prayer. The Bible records some angry prayers. In Psalm 3, David prays, God, I pray that you would slap the faces of my enemies and smash in their teeth. You're like, okay. And, and Nehemiah is essentially saying this here. He says, guys, this is what he's saying. He says, God, let these people go to hell. Uh, look at it. He prayed, do not cover their guilt and do not blot out their sins. He's saying, do not save them from judgment. Nehemiah's prayer isn't very evangelistic, is it? He's not really, Jesus hasn't come yet. Maybe he hasn't heard this whole teaching of loving your enemies and turning the other cheek. And look, whether or not Nehemiah's prayer was right, it was at least real. He trusted that God would answer according to his good and perfect will. Um, my pastor from Santa Barbara, David Guzik, in in this section of scripture in his commentary said, how about instead of getting angry at your enemy and cursing them, what if you tried getting angry about your enemy before God and asked God to do the cursing? You see, if, if Sambalat is a picture of the devil, then God has already cursed your enemy. But, but we would do well to take our anger and turn that to the Lord because if you look, check out at the end of verse five where Nehemiah says this, he says, God, 
These enemies have provoked you to anger. It says they provoked God to anger in the presence of the builders. Did you know that God gets angry? It's a righteous anger, but God gets angry. And listen, you do not want to experience that anger. And nor do you have to if you are in Jesus Christ, the Son. But God gets angry. And he gets angry when the enemies attack God's people. It provokes him to anger. And one more thing I want to notice about this before we move on is this, is that Nehemiah doesn't talk to the enemy. He talks to God about the enemy. See, God is the one who has power over our spiritual enemies, and God was angry at them, and that was enough. See, God is the one who will fight for you rather than you trying to fight for yourself. The devil's not afraid of you. The devil is afraid of the one that is inside of you. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And we are more than overcomers in Jesus Christ. You you are not strong against the enemy unless you are in Jesus. Because he is the one who fights for us, as we will see. Now, what a strong prayer that Nehemiah prayed. Let's see what happens next in verse 6. It says, so we built the wall... And the wall was joined to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Don't you love that? See, it says that there was opposition. Yes, there was mocking. Yes, there was discouragement. But after praying, the people kept moving. They kept building. So when the enemy mocks you, so what? Keep building. When the enemy discourages you, so what? Keep building. When the enemy wants to lead you to despair, strengthen your hands and keep building. We see the people building the wall, and the wall was joined together to half of its height. But the wall was now enclosed. All of the walls and the gates and the towers were now in place, and the wall itself was connected, but only up to half its point. It was only at the halfway mark. See, this is a good point. This is a strong point that they found themselves in, but they still needed to build. And they could either view the wall as half built or half unfinished. But how are they going to decide to move forward? Because again, this, this halfway point that we so often find ourselves in our work and in our lives is a tempting place to be in, isn't it? You've built enough to know that God has been with you, but there is enough in front of you that you can begin to feel the fatigue. Can't help but see this even relating to going to two services. You know, we, we've seen God fill this sanctuary once. Can he do it again? We believe he can do it again. And, and, and we realize that, that okay, we've, we've been working and laboring with our hands and with our hearts before the Lord for two years, and what else is God going to do? And we just say, God, would you strengthen our hands in the work? See, there's always more to be done, and the enemy is always going to want to stop it, but we need to make a a decision that we are going to move forward in spite of the opposition. Now, I love what it says there at the end of verse 6. It says, 
for the people had a mind to work. Let that be said of us, amen? That we would have a mind to work. Verse 7 says, But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And this is true of our lives as we build for Jesus and Jesus' life is built in us, is that the breaches that the enemy used to have access to in your life are closing in. You're no longer susceptible to those vulnerable places where the enemy used to attack you. When he sees the breaches of your marriage close, when he sees the breaches of your sobriety close, when he sees the breaches of our lusts and our unstable emotions, when he sees your anger being turned into prayers against him. When the devil sees whatever breaches he has had access to in your lives begin to close, that makes him very angry. So what does the enemy do at that point? When the mocking doesn't stop the work, when the discouragement doesn't stop the work, when the people do not give up at halfway but keep building, what does the enemy do? He plots to cause confusion. Look at verse 8. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. See, if the devil can't stop a work, he will cause confusion in a work. Church, we need to be on guard against such confusion that the enemy would love to sow among the good work of God. We need to be alert and sober-minded. We need to be looking out for one another, realizing who the real enemy is, and we need to pray together. Look at what they do in verse 9. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Again, look at what they did when the enemy sought to bring confusion into the city. It says that they prayed. Many people are confused today about what is true and good. And the church at times gets confused about our mission in the world. As the people of God, we need to pray. That is our, the weapon of our warfare. We need to pray that God would correct the confusion with his truth. We need to be on guard in our own lives, considering ourselves, lest we be tempted. We need to be on guard around those around us because confusion is the plot of the enemy that can cripple a work of God if we are not sober-minded and watchful. And so what keeps the church from being confused? We anchor ourselves in the word of God and in the fellowship of God's people. That is how we seek to resist that confusion. Well, let's see how this confusion began to spread in verses 10 through 12. It says, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. 
And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So the threat of confusion had become known to the Jewish people, and there were people living in Judah that were near the enemies. And so they, they heard the conspiring. They heard how the enemies were going to come in with stealth and kill them. And therefore, discouragement came, and despair began to rise up in the people's hearts. And, and look what, it's, what they were saying. There's too much rubble. Are there times, friends, that you look at your life and you say, there's just too much? I, I don't know if we can keep going. They looked and they said, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. That's right, you're never meant to build the wall by yourself. We're meant to do it together. We're meant to be built together, not with stones of rubble, but being built together as living stones with Jesus Christ as our chief cornerstone. And if that wasn't enough, there was a group of Jews, and I believe they were well-meaning, but there were a group of Jews who would come to Nehemiah, and did you see how many times this? Ten times they came to him. And they said, you must return to us. You must return to us. You must return. You, you need to stop this work. The, the enemy's coming. He's going to attack. He's going to kill. You need to stop. So what are they going to do? Are they going to stop at halfway? Look at verses 13 and 14. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah prayed. And when he saw the confusion and the despair that was rising up in the hearts of his people, he took action. And he encouraged their hearts in the Lord. He countered the confusion by bringing order. He, he located the vulnerable places in the wall and he stationed people by their clans. He equipped them with armor, swords, spears, and bows. He said, we're not just going to build this wall, we're going to use this wall. He looked and he arose. He spoke to the leadership and to all the people and he charged them. He said, enough is enough. There are real enemies and yes, they are very angry about this good work that God is doing in our midst, but we are not going to fear. We are going to fight. And church, we need to hear this today. Do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We are in a war, and there is an enemy who is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy, but we do not need to be afraid. We resist the devil, and he will flee from us because remember the Lord. He is great and awesome. 
Look, as great as the mocking might be, as great as the discouragement might be there in your heart, as much as the despair wants to rise up and consume your mind, as much as the confusion wants to take over our individual lives and the lives of our cities and our churches, we will not do that. As often as the enemy conspires to attack us, you cannot turn back. We cannot back down. We have to stand and we have to resist because we can remember our great and awesome God and we can fight for our people, amen? Amen. Verse 15 says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Guys, the enemy knows that his plans are being exposed today. He sees the breaches of your marriage clothes. He sees your sons and your daughters returning to Jesus. He sees your homes being stable without confusion, but anchored in the word of God. He sees how we have become aware of his plots and his schemes because God's word is exposing him and we are being strengthened to fight the good fight. And the people were charged by their leader, Nehemiah, to resist the enemy, that God was with them and he would fight for them. And God is with us and God will fight for us. He will fight for your marriage. He will fight for your sons and your daughters. He'll fight for your home. He'll fight for you. But you also have to fight. God calls us to fight. Sure, pray about it, but then get into action. I love how it says that God frustrated the plans of the enemy. When the people saw that the enemy was sowing confusion, they organized themselves. They, they stood together and they resisted the enemy and they fought back. Nehemiah's prayer in verse four, God answered. And in 1 Corinthians chapter two, the apostle Paul talks about how the, if the rulers of this age had understood how the plan to crucify Jesus would crush the head of the enemy, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, God is in the business of frustrating the plans of the enemy so that you don't have to live in confusion, but that you can live in his peace. And then the people got back to work. They got back to the work of building the wall. A great picture here of how God frustrated the enemy's plans, but that we need to keep moving forward. We're going to read this last portion, this lengthier section here in verses 16 through 20. It says, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half of them held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated out on the wall, far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. What an incredible thing to visualize here, right? 
all the people engaged in the good work of building the wall. See, they were resisting the enemy. And, and because both of those things exist simultaneously, they had work to do for God, and they had to resist an enemy. Half the people worked on construction, and half the people worked security. The people who built in one hand, they built with the, the shovel or the trowel, and in the other hand, they had a sword. You know, it's a great picture of how this is to be the life of a believer right here. You know, doing the work of the Lord, wielding the sword of the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. It's just incredible to visualize. And Nehemiah continued to oversee the, the, the work, and he had a man with a trumpet beside him. And, oh, man, I, I was going to do this. I was in Israel last summer, and I, I bought a shofar, which is what the trumpet, and I was going to bring it and blow it in here. <laughs> that would have been so fun. My brother-in-law told me I should do that. Corey, why didn't I get it? I forgot. Anyways, they would blow the trumpet, and, uh, and, and when a trumpet was blown, it, it called the people to battle. And, and so Nehemiah oversaw the project, and he had a man with a trumpet beside him, and he said, anytime that trumpet is blown, we're going to rally together as the people. And, and Nehemiah would say, our God will fight for us. And this speaks so well of how the church is to live in the world because we go out and we do the work of building for God. And Nehemiah recognized we were spread out from each other on our own sections of the wall. We were doing work that was varied, work that was great and widely spread out. We were working hard. We were keeping up our spiritual defenses, but we were not together. And so we wear our armor. We go into the world. We do our work. We hold the sword of the spirit, the word of God. But I have to encourage you, in Ephesians chapter 6, which we're going to read at the end of the service today, we have to wear our spiritual armor. And I love this picture here, the sound of a trumpet that would gather in the people of God because we can't stay spread out. We can't stay out in our own place. We have to come together in one place. And in church, a sound is made every week as we come together and we rally together in worship. Each week, we gather in worship under that banner of our God that says, our God will fight for us. And I was listening to a worship song this week, and there was a line in it that says, it's not flesh and blood that we are fighting. There's powers behind what we're seeing. Worship will be my weapon. Worship will be my response. I can see now that you're moving and sing, as, as we sing, all my burdens are lifting. Worship will be my weapon. Worship will be my response. And that's what we do, church, when we come together. When we wield the sword of the word of God. When we come together in worship, we realize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual and powerful to pull down mighty strongholds in the name of Jesus. But thinking about this trumpet as we end, it made me remember one other trumpet that's mentioned in the Bible, a last trumpet that will be sound. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57 says this, I tell you the truth, brothers, sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Our amen. Our God will fight for us. He's fighting for you right now. The enemies of sin, death, and the devil Jesus is fighting for you, and guess what? He's already won the victory. Christians, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. The battle's won, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your victorious death on the cross where you disarmed all principalities and powers. You made a public spectacle of them. You have mocked our enemies. You say, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your sting? So when sin seeks to laugh at us and the devil seeks to mock us and death would cause us to despair, God, we know that our God is victorious and our God will fight for us. And so, God, we ask, Lord, that the breaches of our walls would be closed in, that we would fight for our sons and our daughters, we would fight for our husbands and our wives. God, I pray that we would contend for our homes. I pray that we would contend for the people that we love in our churches, in our cities, in our nation, and in our world. And God, we look to you, O sovereign king of the universe. God, would you stretch out your hand and would you, would you allow us, Lord, to stretch out our hands as we do the work that you're calling us to do? Lord, we ask you to use us as we continue to build your church and advance your kingdom that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, Lord Jesus, until that last trumpet is blown and that final end of our enemies of sin, death, and the devil are forever forever ended. Lord Jesus, be our courageous leader. Help us to keep moving forward. Help us to keep building individually and collectively. God, we, we look to you, Jesus. Thank you, oh God, Prince of Peace. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.